this week. Um, went and spent some time with Gary Hamilton, who's pastor of church in Chico that launched out of here in 1990 and um, connected with him. And then the reason I was up there is uh, to speak at my uh, pastor's wife, the pastor that was the pastor of the church when I was growing up, she passed away. And so I spoke at the memorial and that was real privilege to do. I'd been hoping for a way to honor um, my pastor growing up. And so uh, that was an opportunity to do it. Drove up there and spoke at the service and then came back, got back at 10 o'clock last night. But it, it was it was a, sort of a blast from the past for me. I don't know if you end up touching base with people and you're like, oh, oh yeah, I remember when. <laughs> Uh, one of the gals that he, the pastor of the church I grew up in, uh, had three daughters and, um, the middle daughter is my age and she said she didn't recognize me until I smiled. And I thought, eh, I don't know how to take that, you know, <laughs> and, and we'd both grown a bit older in the last 25 years. <laughs> that was the problem. Um, but anyway, it was good to go. Uh, glad to take the opportunity to do that, and it's good to be back. We're nearing the end of our message series we've called Pressure Points, and we, we've been digging into the book of James in the New Testament to gain God's perspective and his, his surgically accurate insight into pressure points and what we deal with and what increases the pressure or what deflates the pressure in our lives. So what we've been doing, which is what we do every week here at Church Valley, is we've gone to go into the scripture and we're trying to pull out the principles and the insights that are there. We're not trying to read into it. What I've learned is my opinion doesn't really count when it compares to God's opinion. So we're trying to find out what God has said through the scripture about living life. And particularly in this series, we're looking at pressure points. Today, we're going to talk about conflict, what the real source of it is and how to navigate when we find ourselves in conflict. Pressure and conflict in family life and friendships are some of the most disappointing experiences in life. This, this creates a lot of trouble for us. Just when you want to have an enjoyable time together, conflict erupts. And it's, it's tough. We, we hang high hopes on relationships. And the Bible directly addresses this. Um, we meet a new friend, we hit it off immediately, and we're thinking, hey, this is going to be great. It's going to be awesome. But then they let us down somehow. And it seems like the same old story. A string of friendships like that can create a lot of disappointment. We'll learn today how to handle the disappointment in a constructive way. We're going to see what to do with it. New job starts, your coworkers. Seem like a great bunch of people, 
But over time, the fangs start coming out and underlying tensions blow, and it's the same old story. Very, very disappointing at times. What do we do with this? What do we do with the conflict? Romantic relationships are the most fertile ground for expectations. And we'll say unrealistic expectations. I have a, a clip for you to, to watch from Groundhog Day. And in this particular clip, um, Bill Murray, I think his name's Phil. No, that's the Groundhog. I think his name's Phil, though. Anyway, let me see. I might have a... Re- oh, yeah, his name's Phil. Phil the Groundhog, Phil the reporter, whoever he is. Anyway... He's trying to draw out of this gal her definition of the perfect guy. So let's watch this. So what do you want out of life anyway? I guess I want what everybody wants, you know, career, love, marriage, children. Are you seeing anyone? I think this is getting too personal. I don't think I'm ready to share this with you. How about you? What do you want? What I really want is someone like you. (laughs) Oh, please. Well, why not? Uh, What are you looking for? Who is your perfect guy? Well, first of all, he's too humble to know he's perfect. That's me. He's intelligent, supportive, funny. Intelligent, supportive, funny. Me, me, me. He's romantic and courageous. Me also. He's got a good body, but he doesn't have to look in the mirror every two minutes. I have a great body, and sometimes I go months without looking. (sighs) He's kind, sensitive, and gentle. He's not afraid to cry in front of me. This is a man we're talking about, right? He likes animals and children, and he'll change poopy diapers. Does he have to use the word poopy? Oh, and he plays an instrument, and he loves his mother. I am really close on this one. Really, really close. There you go. Of course, he has his reasons for drawing it out. Um, But women have their version of the perfect guy. Men have their version of the perfect woman. And these unrealistic expectations, they grow and they often disappoint because nobody fits that bill. This is a man you're talking about, right? (laughs) Uh, The games continue between Phil and Rita until he gets it right because he ends up, he's living the same day over and over and over again. So he knows what's going to happen. He's arranging things to make just the right things happen so that he can get the girl. We, we don't have that advantage. We don't have that opportunity. We, we end up in the middle of conflict or pressure and we need help knowing what to do, how to deal with it in real time right now. We, we don't have the opportunity to get a do-over all the time. And what we tend to do is add pressure to our relationships through 
our expectations. Think about a woman who began dreaming uh, about her wedding from a young age. If the wedding is pulled off without a major mishap, which doesn't often, I've been at a lot of weddings, doesn't often happen, or it often happens where there is a mishap, there's always a mishap, whether it's major or not, is, is one of those things. So if, if the wedding gets pulled off without something going wrong, the marriage begins and hopes remain high until the first fight after the honeymoon's over. Or if it's on the honeymoon, it's a real shocker. But, but the underlying tension is, is what disappoints over time. How, how do we handle that? How, how do we handle the underlying tension? Unrealistic expectations are relationship killers. They, they choke the life out of our friendships, our family relationships, our working uh, context. We need to know what to do with our expectations in relationships. Unmet, unmet expectations are the soil out of which conflict grows. Passage from James we're digging into this morning gives tremendous amount of guidance for dealing with the real source of conflict. We see in James that conflict reveals a misplaced hope. Let's dig into James 4, 1 through 6. It says, what causes quarrels and what causes fights among you? Is it not this, that your passions are at war within you? You desire and you do not have, so you murder. You covet and cannot obtain, so you fight and quarrel. You do not have because you do not ask. You ask and do not receive because you ask wrongly to spend it on your passions. You adulterous people, do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? Therefore, whoever wishes to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. Or do you suppose it is to no purpose that the scripture says he yearns jealously over the spirit that he has made to dwell in us? But he gives more grace. Therefore, it says God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. We're going to take some time and unpack this passage because it's not readily apparent what it's talking about or what it's referring to or the specifics of it. But it's incredibly insightful for learning to deal with conflict in a constructive way. Our conflict can help us uh, decrease the amount of pressure in our relationships and build us up to a stronger faith in God and create a bond that wasn't there before. So we're going to look at how this happens. First thing we see is the real source of conflict. Conflict starts with our desires and we we want something and we're willing to hurt others to get it. You desire and do not have so you murder. Now you you I'm almost positive have never murdered anybody. But You've been willing to hurt them to get what you want. That's what this is saying. You're, you're willing to hurt people to get your way. 
Our desires can be intangible, things like respect or encouragement. We just want our due. Yeah, just just show me some respect in the way you're talking to me. Yeah, just come on. Just a little encouragement. So our desires could be intangible. We meet up with someone, we're seeking out some affirmation, and we don't get it. Or we go to the breakfast table in the morning, and the family's eating breakfast, and we, we just want you know, just a, a little bit of respect. We don't get it, and so we make them pay with a smart remark or a grumpy attitude or whatever it is. Some, we create this unpleasant atmosphere because we're going to get what we want. And we're not getting it. it. Our desire may be more tangible. We want some help around the house. Nobody seems to be paying attention to the work that needs to be done. And since nobody else is helping, they're not getting on board to help, we say a few hurtful things rather than addressing them directly. No one understands why you're in the mood you're in because all of this is under the surface. At work, your boss overlooks your hard work again by passing you by for the promotion or by not commending you. He commends someone else for the work they're doing. And you back off. You don't work as hard as you were. You just back off a little bit. You're going to make them pay. Just, if that's the way he's going to be, then I'm just not going to do it. We don't ask God for what we want. We rely on our own strength and our old strategies to get what we want. That's what it says next. You do not have because you do not ask. We don't ask God. We're just trying to get it our own way. We're trying to pull out of them what we need. If we do ask, it's often with a selfish motive. That's the other thing. The scripture says you ask and do not receive because you ask wrongly to spend it on your passions. If we do ask, sometimes we ask with a selfish motive and God doesn't get on board the selfish train. He will not do that. God will help you do what he wants. He'll give you the power. He'll give you the energy. He'll help you do that. But he will not help you do what you want for your own selfish motives. So this, this passage here is unwinding for us what's going on in the conflict we're experiencing. And what God wants to do is he wants to work through the frustration, the difficulty that we have in the conflict of our relationships to change us. And that, that's what he's trying to do. He's trying to get our attention through the conflict, that our hope is placed in the wrong uh, location. We, we don't have it placed in him. If we think we deserve what we want from those around us and we try to extract it from them, the pride drains the power to do what's right by the people around us. That's another thing you see in this passage. Lord wants us to change our goal to please him, not ourselves. So this is, this is what he's doing through conflict. We're going to just keep experience frustration and power drain and conflict until 
We set our goal to please God. And this happens to be, if you haven't yet decided to follow Christ as, as Lord and boss, setting your heart to please God is the way that you end up doing right by the people in your life. This, this, may, be, this may be one of your fears. What is God going to do with me if I decide to follow him? Is he going to make me a weirdo? You know, which, hey, that was one of my fears. And and so I'm going to tell you one of the things he's going to do is he gives you, he, he, he is a person that you can go to that gives you an aerial view of what's going on in your life and in the situation. If you turn to him and rely on him for the strength that he can give, he will help you make the choices that bless the people around you, not hurt them. To do that, we cannot have a selfish motive. We have, to, we have to go to him for the help. He has to be our hope. And then he gives what we need to, to choose to bless the people around us, to, to serve them rather than ourselves. And that turns out to be the best kind of life possible. You're going to continually be frustrated if you set your heart on doing what you want, getting what you want out of each situation that you face in life. But if you learn to focus on others, to love them, to serve them, to look out for their interests with the help that God provides, that's where the blessing is. And once you decide to follow Christ, we fall back into the old strategies all the time. But God's using the conflict to train us, to grow us, to change us, to, to totally shift our goal from doing what we want to doing what God wants, because that turns out to be the best thing ever. Next, James reveals the real source of hope. Verse 4 lays out the source of hope in a roundabout way, and I want to unwind it. A little bit for you, but here, here's what he's saying. When we decide to give our lives to follow Christ, we become a friend of God. This is what scripture says. We, we, this is not something we've earned. This, it's the grace of God that allows us to be his friend. And he went to great lengths so that we could become the friend of God. We don't earn this right. It's given to us by the grace of God. We can fall back into our old ways described here as friendship with the world. Do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? So when we choose the ways of the world, what this is saying here, this phrase, when we choose the ways of the world, we put ourselves with odds at odds with God. So. We, we can, once we decide to follow Christ, we fall back into our old ways. But when we do that, we look up and there's God. And we're pushing against his ways and he's pushing against us. And who do you think is going to win that match? <laughs> Not us. So that's the picture you have in this, in this passage. Um, it's easy to fall back into our old ways. And when we do our family life and friendships, they don't thrive, they wither. And, and we need to fix our hope on God. Verse 5 says something interesting. It says, 
God yearns jealously over us. He yearns jealously over the spirit that he has made to dwell in us. He, he gave us the soul we have. He gave us who we are on the inside. And I always do a double take when I read in Scripture that God is jealous because jealousy typically is not a good thing. It's sin. I know that God doesn't sin. So I, it, it causes you to stop. And what, what, is that, what does that mean? What is he saying there? The phrase yearns jealousy means this. It means that God feels pain when we don't give him his rightful place in our life, in, in our life and the rightful priority. And you know, jealousy is a painful thing. The words literally mean it's, it's this heat of jealousy, this burst of energy. It's, it's a painful thing. Um, the Greek word here in this passage, yearns, means to dote upon, to intensely crave possession. It can mean either lawfully or uh, wrongfully crave possession. So it's either, you can, it can mean, it, there could be a positive aspect to this word jealousy. Um, and if it's, if it's right for you to have something, it's right for you to yearn to have it. And that's how it is with God. God, God made us. And so it's right that he owns us. But the way God is, he gave us the choice of whether or not we're going to do life his way. And we have all of us, the scripture says, we've decided to go our own way. But that doesn't change the fact that God owns us. He, he has the trademark on our soul. That's what this passage is saying here. He made our spirit to dwell within us. He has the trademark on that. He owns it. At the same time, he gives us the freedom to do our own thing. He, he lets us choose. This is the way he is. Verse 5 is saying, when we fight and quarrel to get our own way, it grieves God. Because we're not doing life his way. And he is the one who both made us. And then when we decided to go our own way, he bought us. By dying on the cross, paying the price for our sin to redeem us, to bring us back into a relationship with him. He is our only source of hope. We can turn to him to meet our needs when the people in our lives disappoint us. Our, our friendship with God is the only thing we need. And if we make him the priority in our lives, he's promised to give us what we need to handle life. So when we turn to him in humility, God gives grace when we hope in him. In our frustration and disappointment with others, if we turn to God and ask him to give us what we need and trust him to give it, he comes through every time. I, I've experienced this. James 4, 6 says, but he gives more grace. Therefore, it says, God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. There's a danger in our relationships of becoming self-righteous. You, know, you, you start making some good choices, very easy to get self-righteous, to, to begin to look down on others for doing the same things that you've done. 
that maybe you're in the habit of doing yourself. If you do get self-righteous, proud, begin to look down on others, no grace from God in that. No help from him. When you choose self-righteous pride, God pushes against you. And you don't want to be in that position. That's the perspective of this passage here. When we humble ourselves, however, before God, he gives the grace that we can then give to our family and friends. We give our expectations to God. We put our hope in him. God, this, this is not this. I didn't want this conflict. I got up today. I was hoping everything would go smoothly and conflict blew up. I didn't want this, God. Would you help me to focus on what I need to focus on? Would, would, you know, Father, it would have been great if I had some encouragement. But I'm going to look to you to give it when I need it. Give me the strength to keep going until I get the encouragement I think I need. And God comes through with encouragement. I've done that. I've been, I've gotten, I've, I've, I wake up in the morning Sometimes, and I'm just, I feel like I just, I'm drained. I need some, I need some motivation. I need some encouragement. God, would you help me? Would you give it to me? If I set my heart on how I think God needs to give it to me, I'm setting myself up for a real load of trouble. I need to wait for him and let him bring it. He often will bring it. You know, usually that day, maybe the next day, but he'll bring the encouragement. My my focus needs to be on turning to God, trusting him to give me the help I need, putting my hope in him and then doing faithfully what he put on my plate to do that day. God comes through every time. Lord, I'm, I'm going to get this work done around the house by the energy you provide. Help me to choose an attitude toward the family that pleases you as I take care of these things. We turn to God, Father, even if the boss doesn't notice, I'm going to aim to do my work with excellence because I know you're watching, you're paying attention, you're noticing what's going on, and I'm going to live for you. We don't expect our family and friends to be perfect. We can forgive the mistakes they make. We can give them some slack if we humbly go to God and ask for his help. God, God gives grace that we pass along to the others in our life as we turn to him. Conflict calms when we put our hope in God and submit to his way. We, we cannot control the actions of other folks in our lives. We can only choose self-control. And if they're launching grenades at us, what we can do is try to defuse them and not launch them back. It's got to stop somewhere as the volleys are going back and forth. You know, somebody's got to decide to stop it. We can do that. We can stop the volley only as we turn to God and trust in him. James 4, uh, 7 through 10 gives a bunch of very short statements. And I'm going to walk through them at each statement at a time. But they're short statements that show us how to hope in God in a very practical way. Let's read that. Submit yourselves, therefore, to God. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. 
Draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. Be wretched and mourn and weep. Let your laughter be turned to mourning and your joy to gloom. Humble yourselves before the Lord, and he will exalt you. Here's how we put our hope in God in very specific ways. First of all, submit yourself to God. This is... Whenever the word submit is used in the New Testament, it's in the middle passive voice, which means we submit ourselves. God is not going to force you in submission to him. It's the way he is. But we choose to submit ourselves to God. When conflict erupts, we have a choice. We can either go our own way, try to get what we want our way, or go God's way. Our tendency is to identify a goal, something we want, in the situation or from someone around us, lock onto it like radar and blow up if we don't get it. That's our tendency. Instead, James is telling us, submit to God and let him have control in the moment. We give our expectations to him. We let him decide how our needs are going to be met, our way or some other way. It, it might be That the person you're looking to for encouragement is the one that God uses to bring it, or maybe not. But you're not demanding. You're submitting to God. You're not demanding your way in that situation. You're submitting to Him and letting Him bring the help however He sees fit to bring it. This helps set our heart to please Him and to do what's best for everyone involved. Second, Resist the devil. That's another phrase we read. When you and I decide to follow Christ, we gain three enemies. This, this is, is a shocker when you don't understand this. When you decide to follow Christ, it's what, there's sort of a honeymoon. And then all of a sudden, the enemies start coming at you. And there's three of them, the world, the flesh, and the devil. James mentioned the world in verse 4. Uh, He talked about friendship with the world. The world in this sense refers to the typical approach to life in the world at large today, the way we normally do things. And it goes against God and his way. It's not submitted to God and his ways. It's, It's a strategy for living life that doesn't include God in it, leaves him out. Independent of God. That's what it means when it says the world. Um, The flesh is another enemy. And that refers to our old habits and strategies for getting what we want. This this passage we've been looking at, James 4, 1 through 6, that that is full on our old strategy. We're going to get our way and we're going to hurt you if you don't give me my way. That's that's the flesh. To follow Christ means to swim against the current of the world at large and keep saying no to the flesh. That's what it means. You have to understand this or you're surprised. And you get knocked down by these enemies and you you don't necessarily get up because you don't realize the battle is there. The devil is a real being who wants to ruin our relationships And destroy our lives. So we need to know his schemes and resist him. And one of his schemes is to 
Amplify unrealistic hopes and dash them so that we give up. This, this is a scheme of the enemy. One way he sets us up for more and more conflict is we have these unrealistic expectations. We put our hope in the people around us, and they don't come through, and we are devastated by that. We are frustrated, and we're going to forget it. Forget them. I'm not, I'm not going to do that. We need to be aware of this. We need to resist the devil. We submit ourselves to God, and we resist the devil because he's coming after us. We need to know this. As we resist the devil, we must draw near to God. Another short statement in this passage about how to put our hope in him. When we catch ourselves in conflict, we need to pray. It's so easy when conflict erupts to just dive in, start swinging (laughs) verbally or whatever, you know, start getting in the fight. We're in the fray now and I'm just going to let it fly. But what we need to do is pray. This is how we draw near to God. Father, help me to do what you want right now. We don't have to say it out loud. We say it under our breath. We pray it in our mind. God, help me to do what you want. Show me what would please you right now and give me the power to choose it. Next, cleanse your hands and hearts. That's what the passage said. Hands in the Bible represent what we do. So this verse is telling us, wash our hands of wrongdoing. This is is very helpful because often... We don't submit ourselves to God. We don't resist the devil. We don't fight the enemies. And we blow it. In the middle of conflict, it erupts and we blow it. So what we need to do is cleanse our hearts, our hands and our hearts. And the way you do that is, hey, uh, that was wrong. What I said, what I did, the way I've been acting, that was wrong. Will you forgive me? We ask God to forgive We confess it to God. The Bible says, whenever you confess your sins to God, you're cleansed. So we confess to God, and then we confess to the people around us. And just that makes me not want to do it again. (laughs) But it's a way to look at my my brother-in-law was in the Army, and he's, he's always talking about after action review, after a battle. They would go back and they'd start picking it apart, looking at what happened and how, how to do better next time. That's, that's what this is referring to. Cleanse your hands, your hearts and your hands. And go back and think through what, what was said, what you did, what, what you want to ask God for help not to do next time, what you need to straighten out with the people that you've been in conflict with. And then it says... <clears throat> Purify your hearts, you double-minded, at one point. And we're, we're good at wanting God's blessing our way. But God is going to bless as we learn to live life his way. And purify means to have one motive. Often we're handling life, we got, we've got a double mind. We've got two motives. And we so want... James we, says... <clears throat> to grieve over your sin. 
we're instructed to take our sins seriously. It's easy to become callous toward it. We're used to it, especially during conflict. We need to have genuine sorrow over the wrong we do. Especially in conflict when our hearts can get hard. So we grieve. And finally, it says to humble yourself and wait on God. We don't demand to get our way. We want it. But we don't demand it. We humble ourselves before God and we wait on him to give us what we need when we need it in his timing. This is the path God has laid out for dealing with conflict. This makes conflict constructive (laughs) because in, in the middle of the conflict, God is wanting to do some things to change us. This is what brings the help we need. God uses conflict to change our hearts if we cooperate with him, if we learn to do life his way. He wants to help us become people who bless others, who look out for their interests. And he wants to use us in the lives of those to build them up. When we learn to take our hopes and our expectations to God, And let him meet them in his time. We have all we need to build strong relationships. Because he's all we need to to make it through life. As I wrap up this morning, I want to encourage you to think through a way to respond personally to this message that we've looked at, that we've heard. Uh, Here are some suggested next steps that you can consider taking today. My next step today is to, every day this week, put your hope in God through prayer by giving your expectations to him. Practice this. Work on this. Get up in the morning. Ask God to help you trust him to meet your needs rather than trying to get them met by the people around you. And then second step, look look over the practical steps to calming down conflict and apply my most needed step today. Would you pray with me? Father, we thank you for your word that is so instructive. Thank you for your grace that gives us what we need for life. Thank you, Jesus, for dying on the cross for our sin. And I pray that you'd help us, God, to to please you, to set our hearts on pleasing you, and in the midst of conflict, where we can go so wrong, help us to turn to you, make it right with you, make it right with the people around us, and watch as you build us through it. We ask this in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen.